Welcome to Last Ones at the Bar, a podcast dedicated to covering all of the important affairs surrounding the sweet science. My name is Wilton Henry, and today I'm joined with the dynamic duo, the Jordan the Pippin, the Shaggy and Scooby-Doo, the Fennis and Fur, the Beavis and you catch the drift. I'm not oh. going to <laughs> Actually, I'm with uh, Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. Fellas, how goes it? And how was your weekend? What the people want to know is which one is Jordan, which one is Pippin? No, I'm I'm, I'm chilling. We we ain't got to do all that. Um, I'm feeling good though, man. A little sore from training, but uh, but I feel good. No, I'm I'm good, man. We, we you know we move into these last two months, going into you know the uh the the, the seasons and you know the time change and, and leaves falling and getting uh, colder. So just just trying to get my hair straight. Yeah, you know. I'm not going to say hopefully it starts to get colder because that's inevitable, but it's just it's getting colder a little bit later than usual. And, you know, for me this weekend, it's always a plus when you get that extra hour. You understand what I'm saying? So I got me some good rest and, you know, I'm ready to rock and roll. We had an interesting weekend of sport of boxing yesterday in Abu Dhabi. We had a fight on the zone app between Dimitri Bilbo and Gilberto Ramirez. According to bravadosportsbook.com, they had Bivol around a five and a half favorite, you know, going into the fight. You know, in retrospect, they probably should have had him higher than that, you know, based on his performance. But, Vail, what was your breakdown of the, of the events that took place on the zone card yesterday? Yeah, it was, it was a good performance, masterful performance by Bivol, where uh, Gilberto Ramirez, uh, in this fight, somebody old had to go. And uh, Gilberto, he became Gilbert. Gilbert Zerd Ramirez. We, uh, it was interesting to fight. Ramirez did come out throwing and jabbing, but he seemed more inclined to try to to to, to box uh, Bivol, and I thought that was kind of the, the wrong strategy. But Bivol was, you know, hitting him with punches, not like a lot of punches early, but just hitting him with some sharp shots just in between some of the jabs and punches that Ramirez is throwing. Bivol would, you know, shoot you know a few shots just just to let Ramirez know, hey, look. You know, I, I can I can I can crack two. You might be bigger. I, I can crack two. I do want to mention how bigger did the Ramirez did look in the actual ring. I was like, I was surprised. But it, it didn't matter. Once uh, Bivol, he figured Ramirez out and pretty much start getting into the rhythm. I mean, he, he just start putting it down on Ramirez, man. And, and it wasn't like he was just beating him up, which is, you know, about to stop him or anything like that. But he was just dominating them with, with with counters, man. Especially the punches, you know, straight punches to to the to the head that really got Ramirez's attention. And and once Ramirez failed to back Bivol up, and and, and the reverse was happening, Bivol was backing Ramirez up, especially around the you know the early to mid rounds, like round four, round five. I knew this fight was just gonna just keep going, keep going. And Ramirez's corner was trying to you know keep him motivated, especially heading towards the end, but. Just mentally, it seemed like Ramirez, uh, not saying he didn't try, because he try, he did try, but it just seemed like you just look at mentally and, and like unconsciously, he just kind of like accepted it, that, you know, that it was going to go the way it's going. There's nothing I can do with this guy. You know what? I'm just going to survive. Uh, that's kind of what he did. You know, uh, he didn't really, especially late in the fight, he didn't really go out for broke. You know, of course, you know, they do their thing in the last round where guys do a little bit more to, to get the crowd's attention, but he didn't really, you know, go for broke, you know, and, and, and it just goes back to one of the things I said about Ramirez 
maybe last week is that he can box. He has boxing ability, but I think he tried too much to try to outbox Bivol. And then when it was time to really try to step on it and make some stuff happen, he really could never get in that mindset because he Bivol already pretty much downloaded Ramirez. So Gamoto Ramirez, he drops to 44 and one with 30 knockouts. Uh, Dimitri Bivol, uh, he improves to 21 and 0 with 11 knockouts. So Bivol, you know, he's, he's the one of the men at 175 to watch. Um, and we'll see what, what, what happens to him in the future. Yeah, this fight, you had Bivol. He kind of forced the fast pace. He was averaging 73.2 punches per round to Bivol's 53.6. But Bivol won by keeping the fight right at the center of the ring. You know, he was using that heavy jab. And he comprised 63.8% of his total output, similar to the 71.4% in his last five fights. But what I noticed most in this fight, and Vail, you were talking about, you know, the size differential and, and things like that. But speaking of the punch stats, if you look at it, it's misleading because actually um, – Zerto landed more power punches than Bivol. He just wasn't as effective as Dimitri Bivol throughout the course of this fight. What I noticed is that it was virtually even after five. The rounds that Bivol was winning, he was dominating those rounds in the early part of the fight. He came out very aggressive, just like, you know, a master teacher, right? They, and, and especially in the sport of boxing, which you'll notice with the upper echelon elite level guys, what they're going to do is they're going to get their respect early. And he met Zerto, or the artist formerly known as Zerto, with force. You know what I mean? He came out, and I was like, somebody might get hurt if they continue at this pace. But it was just to get that respect. And he came out, and he kind of had his guns blazing to a certain degree for Bivol. You know, he's never going to do anything that he can't do, but he does things very, very well inside the ring. And so... Zerto won maybe two of the first five rounds, but it was more so because Bivol, what he did was it was like, you know, I could keep this pace up, but I, I just want to make sure that I'm conserving my energy and I want him to exert some energy, you know, and then I can go ahead and take, retake, you know, control of the fight. And that's certainly what he did. He kept moving forward. Uh, Gilberto Ramirez didn't like that. He's not a fighter who fights excellent moving backwards. Um, and Bivol basically had Ramirez gun in a holster the whole fight. I've never seen him try to land anything of substance because he was getting rat -a -tat tatted in his face a lot with clean shots. And he didn't want to put himself in a position to get hit flush with something that he didn't see because like I say, he was he was putting some serious, you know, power behind the punches that he was landing on Zerto, at least enough that he got his respect. Vail, you alluded to his trainer um, slash motivational speaker. I don't know what he was thinking. He was like giving him some advice and encouragement that wasn't necessarily there. It was one round. Bivol was just smoking him like he was putting on a masterful performance and he was telling him you see he don't like that you know keep going keep doing what you i'm like dude you can't keep telling him to do what he's doing what you trying to get him knocked out you certainly not giving him any constructive information that's going to help him to turn his onslaught around because he's losing pretty much every round especially after the fifth round 
So that didn't make any sense. But that's typical of what I've seen in Gilberto's career, where it's 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 like they give him some advice that like it's it's just not constructive. For instance, Oscar De La Hoya before the fight, he was saying, I looked at Bival and he looks like he's he's uh he's shook, he's scared. Um I you know, I'm a fighter, I, I know those things, you know, things like that. I know you want to, you know, hype up your fighter, but sometimes you don't want to just give information off that where you kind of lying to your guy where it's not beneficial to him. I mean, be honest, you know what I mean? And, and tell the truth. And that's going to help him in order to give him the advice that he needs in order to, you know, be able to be victorious. But what Zerto found out or Gilberto found out that this is not Dominique Boswell I'm in a ring with. This is not one of those older guys that I've been taking advantage of throughout the 44 fights that I've had, you know, coming into this one. And that's why I always say that guys need to sharpen a sword against tough competition prior to facing the elite of the elite. When you fight Dimitri Bivol, you fighting better be, you fighting those guys right there, you can't have any chinks in your armor unless you just have some superpower that you can, you know, reverse the fight with. And Ramirez certainly doesn't have that. He's a good fighter, but I think he would have been better suited had he fought stiffer competition coming into this one. Um, but he just didn't get the information that he needed. And the last few things I'm going to say is this, is that I didn't also don't like how the fact that he does have the physical advantages, he was taller, he was longer, he was fighting cr crouched down. And that's you making yourself small and you making yourself, you, you losing those advantages that you have when you do that. And um, I just thought it was a masterful performance by Bivol. You know, he's a humble guy. And he was talking about he's okay with taking the Canelo fight next, but he really wants to make his mark on history by getting a better B fight. So shout out to him. You know, I'm always going to root for somebody who wants the, the toughest competition and who has the skills to pay the bills like Bivol. So, again, great win for Dimitri Bivol. Yes, sir. And before I get into my own analysis, I just want to piggyback on your point. Like, it makes sense that Ramirez came in so confident because he had those kind of people around him that was instilling that in him as well. So it, they really did him a disservice because in a way it was like blind confidence, you know. Um, and granted, you know, his abilities got him to 44 No, that's That's no easy feat. And he has beat some good competition, but a guy like Bivol, he doesn't really have to jaw off against you. He didn't do that in Canelo. It was, you know, he's super respectful as a fighter, but he does. That's not how he kind of gets off at it. He's not going to be like super excited about it. He's just going to, he, he's a computer, you know, he's going to fight like a computer. He's going to operate in a way that's respectful, but he's not going to, you know, overstep or anything like that. That's just what it is. And that translates to his fighting. You know, he's as close to a, I wouldn't say perfect, but like, he 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 just very technically sound, very fundamentally sound. Some of his fights aren't exciting, but he just executes at such a high level. And he's one of the most disciplined fighters in the game that it can come off boring because of how technically sound it is. Now, during round seven, you know, the announcer was saying, like, this is the fight Zerto wants. He should embrace these moments. Uh, because you know, like you said, he wasn't letting his hands go. And you know, he's thrown as high as 93 punches in a round before. We didn't see any of that because, you know, it's easy to say, like, yeah, you should let your hands go, but you can't really do that. I guess you can do that, but you can't really do that when your punches aren't landing and you keep getting hit by what's coming back at you when you throw them. 
Um, there was a moment in the eighth as well. I was super impressed because Bivol has had Zerto against the ropes. And he showed a lot of discipline because he he took advantage of the situation and he kind of got his shots off, but he didn't like get greedy for it. So he didn't like go for it. Like once once Ramirez had like sort of recovered, he backed off and went back to his his strategy instead of like, you know, kind of overextending himself in a way that could have got him caught. Um, you could also tell that Bivol had won that mental war because in the, even in the twelfth, it was in between the eleventh and the twelfth. His corner was saying, like, you gotta go for it, you know, you're you're this is separate of you and immortality, whatever he's saying that was like motivational. He just couldn't get there because Bivol had something for everything that he had. And so Bivol just kind of broke him down throughout the course of the fight in a way that, you know, it wasn't like it didn't result in a knockout, of course, but it was in a way where like mentally Ramirez just couldn't fire off the way he was used to firing off. And when you can't do that, and that's what you're used to doing against lesser competition, you kind of don't have anything else left there. I personally scored at 118 to 110 in his favor. I gave Ramirez, I think the second and the third, I believe. But um, you know, it was a it was a good fight. You guys have anything else on the fight itself? Yes, sir. One thing that I noticed is that and one thing that I didn't like is Gilberto came out kind of, it wasn't the fact that he was like, um, like there was a beef between him and Bivol. It was more so he had this disposition of he wanted to win and it was like a wall between them, so to speak. And it wasn't like they were like cordial with each other. They were respectful in terms of like touching gloves before the, the like at the weigh-in and stuff like that. But I didn't see them being that way inside the ring. Bivol got off on him a couple times. And then Bivol extended his glove out to touch gloves after about maybe the second or third or one of those rounds. It may have been a fourth or something like that. Afterwards, they began to do that for the rest of the fight. I don't like that. Like when you try to take somebody title, that's why I always like guys like Canelo. Canelo is a tough little dude. He's not really in there trying to be your friend. He's trying to really put some hurt on you and he wants you to know that that's what my job is to do inside this ring we're not cool and cordial maybe afterwards we can go ahead and do that but not when it's time to when we're in combat so that's one thing i didn't like it just seemed like it was a uh, the mental battle he lost that also you know and you can just see his confidence like just leaving the, the arena more and more as the fight went on. The other thing too, is that false sense of uh, security that he had with the people that he's surrounded by. He had the audacity, the unmitigated goal to say he thought he won a fight. Like, come on, sir. Like it's one thing to go ahead and, you know, lose 10 or two. It's a whole nother level of delusion. So I just, that irked me a little bit. Hopefully this fight, you know, after taking a loss like that, it'll give him not that he's like the most boastful guy, but just a, a person who's going to look himself in the mirror and, and and figure out where he needs to go from here and what he needs to work on in order to be the fighter that he could actually be. I just don't know the avenue that, for him to do it because Bivol's not going anywhere. I think um, Better Beef got like two or three years left tops. And then the cruiserweights might just be a little bit too big for him. So that's that's the only issue. But I think that he still can become a more complete fighter if he actually looks looks himself in the mirror. Get rid of those those uh 
that corner too. You know, get somebody in there that's going to tell you the truth. You know, but that's all I have. You guys have anything else? No, sir. Well, after this one, it's looking like there's a collision course between either Dimitri Bivol and Canelo. So it's two directions that he can go: the Canelo fight or the Better Be fight. If you was Dimitri Bivol, which direction would you go? Hmm. I had my answer, but you said if I was Dimitri Bivol, <laughs> and that's an interesting question because without a doubt, he's gonna he's, he's gonna make more money fighting Canelo. Regardless, he will make more money fighting Canelo. But as a, a fan, that's not the fight that I would rather see. I mean, we've seen it already. It's interesting because when Canelo, you know, calls your number saying he wants to fight you, you answer regardless. Uh, it's just that with this fight between him and Bivol. I think it would have played out a little better if Canelo would have will be fighting him after Ramirez because Vivo would have been uh, bigger, a little bit more proven versus, you know, upsetting Canelo and just know, being known as a guy outside of like true hardcore fans as the guy who upset Canelo and then going on to beat Ramirez. But as a fan, I, I think I would like to see him versus Bitterby a little bit, a lot better because I think that's the fight that's been, been, long overdue to have um i think the time is pretty much now and i and and, and i think if it plays out any longer this, this fight is going to lose a lot of steam two things with canelo one i'm gonna be honest it was weird that they kept bringing up his name in the post-fight interview because i specifically remember after the triple g fight he was saying that he has a hand injury and he won't be back until at least september 2023 and he had this surgery on his wrist last week I'm assuming when he comes back, even if it is September, he's probably not going to be ready for a Bivol level competition anyway. So we're talking, if he goes, even if he goes down the Canelo route, we're talking spring 2024, like at the earliest, you know? So Bivol got things to do. In terms of the rematch itself, it seems like, and I'm not trying to like, you know, downplay anybody else, but it seems like a higher level version of, you know, when... Haney pretty much outclassed Cambosos, but there was that rematch clause. And so, like, they kind of had to do it as a formality. It would be a format, like a, a very well-paying formality. But even if he does it in spring 2024, um, in theory, he could have already have unified and become undisputed by then, um, which may, in theory, add more intrigue to the Canelo rematch. But the outcome would be the same, probably possibly even worse. As far as better be of, um, they're planning to fight against for him against Yard at the end of January, assuming Yard wins his tune-up. So timing-wise, he won't be able to see him until the second half of 2023. But that's what the boxer fans want to see. So if I'm Bivol, you know, I would take a fight in the first half of the year. You know, a few names I could think of off top, uh, maybe Callum Smith, although he isn't ranked in the WBA. Maybe even Marcus Brown because. That could be a good setup for the better BF fight since he fought Marcus Brown last December. And then that will possibly set it up for, you know, a, a second half of 2023 clash. Because by that time, better BF, he'll be 38 and a half years old. So um, time is at the S with that one. But my version of V-Ball and the B-Ball version of V-Ball, kind of we on the same page there. So, Yeah, I think that that would be a pretty good um, – He he has – some pretty good problems, you know, as far as which direction that he wants to go. But I, I'll take Bivol at his word. And I've been 
looking at some interviews leading up to his fight with Gilberto Ramirez, where the Canelo question kept coming up. And when the question came up, it was uh, from his perspective is that he like he prefers to go for legacy. And the guys were telling him, they said, man, you know that that's a that's a um, lucrative rematch with Canelo. And he said, yeah, he said, but, you know, money, he, he said, I, 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 I like money. But at the same time, I think my legacy will live longer. And so that's the direction that he would actually want to go in is if he had an opportunity to collect those belts. And like I said, that's why you can always, you know, it's it's easy to support somebody like a Dimitri Bivol because he's kind of a throwback type fighter. And a lot of times we put certain standards on guys that we think that they should have in a sport of boxing as far as like wanting legacy fights and, and things of that nature, where it's only a few guys who have that mentality where they understand that if I do these things and I collect these belts and I build on my legacy, then the money will come, you know, and he's one of those guys. So just taking him at his word and what I would prefer, I would prefer to the, the better B fight because I think that that's a more um, competitive fight. It's the elite of the elite. And I, I want it sooner than later because the more you wait, better B is, is one of those guys who, um, his age is in dog years. Every time you look up, he's he's like seven years older. You know what I mean? So I think the next time, by the time they'll fight, he'll be like 44 years old. You know what I mean? So it's, it's better to get this fight out the way now um, and see who's the, the the top guys at 175. You know what I mean? That would be a beautiful match to see. Speaking of that, with those uh, two opponents, I think we I kind of know based on what you guys said as far as Canelo, um, but – how, what would it look like? What would the outcome be between better B, not better B, but Bivol and Canelo too, or and Bivol versus better B? Bivol versus Canelo too, I think is going to go similar to the first fight went. And I can actually, and Danny kind of alluded to, I can see it being worse for Canelo because Bivol is one of those guys uh, that that once he adjusts to you, he adjusts to he adjusts to you, and I'm and I can't see. I can, I can see Canelo doing better early and coming in with a better game plan and making some adjustments early, but I can still see Bivol, you know, being a, he's uh, longer, bigger, and he can, he can move around the ring and he already beaten Canelo. It's, it's probably going to go the same way it works going down the stretch. Bivol versus Bitterbeef. That one is a little harder because Bivol is, is kind of, is, is only moving upward. And bitter beef, he's getting older. He's kind of moving downward. You can see him kind of slowing down a little bit. And previously, I always thought that bitter beef would, would edge Bivol. And, and I, I should always look at Bivol and think, I'm not sure how tough this guy is. But the last few fights, he's, he's, he's proven a lot. And I think this fight is probably a 55-45 in Bivol's favor, you know, because bitter beef is not – he hasn't had those type of fights in a long time where you're, you're – you're like, wow, he beat this guy. And I think that's being that he's aging also is becoming uh, a little detriment to him. Yeah, with Canelo, man, again, going back to that realistic timeline, we're looking at a 34-year-old Canelo versus the 32-year-old Canelo. Well, he was actually 31, I believe, when he actually fought. And game plan or no game plan, you know, like there's only but so much he could do to change it up. And, I mean, great for Bivol's pockets if that does end up happening in the future. But I hope Canelo kind of, and I know his legacy is important to him, but I hope he 
seeks another way to solidify that legacy because it's just like for what like to to get to, to, to be the defender to loser or that to get blown out again so i think it'd be another a, a less exciting fight where bivol wins around 10 rounds and canelo wins maybe two if you're nice to him um in terms of better bf time is just of the essence i will say though like you can see their style difference in the common opposition. So you look at Joe Smith Jr. Bivol won that by unanimous decision by just outbossing him, and better be have knocked him out of two rounds. And as we've seen time and time again, you know, uh, Bivol he's extremely defensively responsible, but better be have he has dynamite in both hands, and Bivol can be caught. So I don't think better be able would be able to land as much, but I do think Bivol will obviously be affected by his power depending on how often he is able to land. But, you know, again, better be if he'd be 38 and a half years old. So power is the last thing to go. But if he can't move as well as he has, then it's going to be harder for him to be able to get inside and set up what he wants to set up. So I would go with the younger, defensively responsible Bivol. For me, it's like 51 to 49 because better be if he has a, 100% knockout ratio. Everybody that's been in the ring with him has been knocked out. So when when someone's like that, it's hard not to envision someone at least being seriously hurt in a fight against someone like that. So, um, But I still think Bivol would edge it just based on what I've seen up to this point. According to Bravada, the odds would be 2-1 to one in favor of Bivol heading into a rematch with Canelo. And I think as the fight gets closer, those odds will increase in Bivol's favor, just based on his latest work that we've seen. And then also Canelo coming off of uh, injury. You will have uh, Canelo's getting older. Bivol is in his prime. Right now, Bivol is, he's on his Drake stuff right now. He's, he's very confident. He has the swagger, you know, it's just, he knows that he's really good and he's just out to go ahead and just add extra trinkets, add extra, you know, things in terms of his accomplishments. You know, he just knows that he's good and he's, he's out there willing to prove it while he's at this elite level. And I think that that would be the case against Canelo in a rematch. Canelo just, I think he's too small. Um, he just would be biting off more than he can chew. There's no deficiencies in Bivol that really Canelo can take advantage of, except for one thing. I just think he's too small to do it. Now, in a fight between Bivol and Better Beef, that's totally different. I think that that's a 50-50 fight. But according to Bravada, they have it relatively even with Better Beef being a slight favorite. Now, here's the thing with Bivol. You have to punch with him. You have to be able to punch with him. And one thing that Better Beef does is he's going to punch with you. There's times where he's open, he he can get caught. And Zerto caught him a few times. He just wasn't putting anything on his punches. It was it was rare, but you're not gonna take many from better B. So that would be his avenue to victory. He's just a rough and tough big rock waller up in the ring with you. And he's gonna, regardless if he's hitting you flush, if he's hitting your arms, if he's hitting your shoulders. It's going to take its toll on you. So I think that he would be able, out of all guys, to kind of slow down some of that movement. Now, Bivol is cold, man. He's up in there. He's right there in front of you. He has fast hands. He has those quick feet. He has those quick twitch muscles. 
So it's going to be a difficult task, but I think that the sooner they fight, the more even it is, and it could go either way. Um, but I, I just I look forward to it. Hopefully, after um, Better Beef gets back from his injury and he takes care of his mandatory, that they can actually make that fight because that's that's one that's good for boxing, and you'll see two masters at work. Both have excellent, um, you know, doing very good at the pro level, but two outstanding amateurs. So they have that going for them as well. Anything else you guys have when it comes to those uh, potential matchups? No, I don't have anything else. I just hope it actually happens. This year was a pretty good year in boxing, but there were a few fights that we wanted to materialize that did not materialize. And some of them hopefully go into 2023 and we get to see those play out. But moving to the undercard for that, we had Chantel Cameron, who is undisputed at 140, versus Jessica McCaskill, who is unified at 147. Now, Bavada has McCaskill at plus 145 for this fight. Obviously, she didn't win it, but how did you guys see it? Well, in this fight, uh, you had McCaskill, who called herself the, the cast killer, you know, out of Chicago, Illinois. From the start to me, she kind of looked a little off, like her balance was off a little bit. She was coming in winging shots. You know, she just looked open for counters, but she just looked a step slow yesterday, especially the first half of the fight. I would say, I would even go on and say up until maybe like the seventh, eighth round, she just looked a little bit in a daze. And Cameron, she was just landing cleaner uh, punches, more crisper punches throughout. You know, she looked like, when I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about McCaskill. She's like a poor version of uh, of James Kirkland, you know, a Kirkland without Ann Wolf. You know, she was just winging those those sloppy, you know, punches and sloppy footwork. You know, like I say, Chantel Cameron, she did a really good job. This is the first time I ever seen her fight where she was just picking her apart. You know what I mean? And it was easy to do it early on because McCaskill really doesn't. She's not technically sound at all, you know, maybe because she picked up the sport of boxing in her 30s. You know, she's 38 years of age right now. And it just kind of showed yesterday. But me seeing McCaskill against Katie Taylor, her winning the welterweight championship, I saw a fighter who had more, um, I would say, a little bit more pep in her stuff, you know, a little bit more urgency when she fought. And it's just I didn't see that yesterday at all she just lacked the intensity that i was looking for where i thought that the fight could have been even going into it you know what i mean like as far as the odds are concerned but to me i just thought that Chantel just picked her apart she did a wonderful job yesterday um of doing so when you look at the the punch stats of the fight you had cameron she landed 134 total punches and out of 534 mccaskill threw more 600 and 20, where she landed only 111 of her punches at a 17.9% ratio, where Cameron landed at 25.1. So she was more accurate. She utilized the jab a little bit, not much, you know, that wasn't what brought the victory home for, but it was just the straighter, cleaner punches that she landed throughout. I thought that she looked good. Uh, McCaskill either needs to go to the drawing board or whatever. She, I don't know if she had some chamomile tea or something like that before the fight because she just looked a little bit off. I don't know. At her advanced age, maybe it's just a little bit harder. You know, she might have hit that, hit that, uh, 
you know, point in her, her career where it's like, boom, you know what I mean? It's just the age kicked in. I don't know. I, I didn't th expect that to happen yesterday because she started so late where I thought, I think that she'll have more left than somebody, your typical 38 year old fighter. Um, I don't know. It could have just been Cameron. Like she was just offsetting her with her fighting style, you know, those quick, sharp punches that she was landing. But I don't want to take anything away from her because she put on an excellent performance just with her inability to shoot the one, two, get out of range and then just landing the cleaner punches. So, you know, shout out to Cameron. You know, like I said, I look forward to seeing what she has in store. What do you guys think? What, what did you guys see? I scored at 96-94 myself. It seemed like a little bit of tale of two fights, you know, because McCaskill did have that slow start. I pretty much gave the first six to Cameron. In the middle of the fifth round, the commentator, one of the commentators said, I think Jessica need, just needs to be mad. And I don't, I, I think that maybe, maybe that would have helped, maybe it wouldn't. But the thing is, the, the trend that we've seen is with some of these fights is that you know, you have the aggressive puncher who sometimes will get the knockout, and then you have the the technically superior boxer. And very often, especially in a women's arena with two-minute rounds, the boxer is more likely going to win out. And this was a case with Cameron because, you know, McCaskill's aggressive, but she ducks her head a lot. And then she also goes in throwing with her head down a lot, too. Like she she did get going once she found some success behind that jab in the last four rounds. And props to her because you know she didn't give up. She gave it all, she gave it her all. Um, but I thought the best boxer won that fight. And out of all the potential options out there, uh, for Katie Taylor, you know, we talked about that last week. I'd be the most intrigued by this one because you would have two really good boxers who are similar in weight. And, you know, they're both on the same continent, same country, more or less. And, you know, it will be a good fight to build up and it will be a very good technically sound fight. But we'll see what happens. But I thought it was an impressive outing for Cameron. Yeah, it was it was impressing. Jessica McCaskill, you know, she made her bones, even though she had her, you know, she had the fight with Katie Taylor that she lost and her career was kind of. Uh, she was never looked at as, as anyone special until she moved up to welterweight and, and, and started getting some really good wins behind her. Very aggressive. Uh, normally she comes in and just, you know, uh, wings it with her head down, as, as you guys stated. But Cameron, uh, similar to how Katie Taylor did it, was just more disciplined. And I think that's that, that was pretty much the key in, in, in defeating somebody like uh, McCaskill. McCaskill, she seemed... A little bit bothered early. It just seemed like she just wasn't herself. Normally, she fights the same style. It's just that normally she she overwhelms uh, a lot of ladies when she's in the ring, uh, and they they can never really uh, get their own rhythm started. I, Cameron must have did something early to really get McCasco's uh, attention. Uh, the commentators uh, said it might have been a head, but I'm I'm not sure. I never saw any type of head, but but maybe uh, Cameron caught her with a few shots that made her more like man. I just need to wing it. Uh, McCaskill never really got into that that dog fight mentality that she normally has. I mean, she gave it a good go, especially in the second half, but it wasn't, you know, it, it just wasn't enough. Um, but it was a good performance by Cameron. Cameron, she uh, pretty much did her thing. It definitely sets up that that fight 
um, a possible fight with Katie Taylor, which would be a you know pretty intriguing matchup at 140, possibly. I, I doubt that Cameron would go back down to 135 for that. But McCaskill, she just seemed off. Maybe it was a the, the uh, I hear she likes to eat 12 ounce steaks the day of the fight. Maybe it was the it was some bad steak or something. But uh, good performance by Chantel Cameron. Anything else you guys want to share? You know, I always do, sir. For one, <laughs> stay away from Katie Taylor. I don't want to them to put a monkey wrench in that rematch between her and Serrano. That's the fight that I want for simply the best. You know, as she rides off into the sunset. The other thing is this, is that now that I'm thinking about it, you had McCaskill. She had most of her success was at one at the welterweight limit, right? And so she came down seven pounds to face Cameron for her belt. Maybe that played a factor in it, her coming down. I think typically me, my rule of thumb for fighters is you it's it's better to move up as you get older than to move down when you get older because you can, I think she probably was taking advantage of the heavier girls who are not as quick. And she also will have more, you know, energy being able to not make weight. You know what I'm saying? And, and with her style, I think that it makes better for her to be at a heavier weight where she doesn't have to, you know, drain herself. So that could have played a factor. And she finally like kind of got things together in around the seventh, eighth round. But yeah, I think I'm just like thinking it through because she did drop seven pounds in order to make this unification matchup. Um, so I don't know. Don't want to make any excuses for it because Cameron looked really good yesterday. You know, so shout out to to uh, Lil Capo, whatever alias is. All right, moving right along. Also in the super middleweight division, we had the exciting David Morrell. He took on Idos, your Boston Nelly. Uh, he was a six to one favorite uh, from Bovado to be successful. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on that? On uh, David Morrell's performance? Yeah, I thought it was a brilliant performance on his end. Um, I pretty much had it. Let's see, up until the twelfth round when he got the knockout, I pretty much only gave your Bussinelli the fifth round. But other than that, it was Morrell finding ways to find success, especially when he got on the inside. Um, I thought he really displayed his footwork, his head movement a lot. I I saw what your Bussinelli was trying to do. You know, he was making a few deposits to the body early, and he was hoping that that would open up some more things. But Morrell, he would just so – he he's a big guy, first of all, and he moves well. And even on the inside, his head movement was just really good. Your Bussinelli was trying to find him, um, and a lot of times he couldn't. His hand speed was was really good. By round three, it looked like he was just a class above your Bussinelli. And, you know, I want to emphasize also, you know, the way we talked about this last week, this was a step up for both opponents. It was a big challenge. It was a dangerous challenge. Uh, your Bussinelli has, he, he had, I believe, 11 knockouts coming into this fight out of 16 fights. They both were undefeated, and so even though Morrell made this look easy, it was not an easy fight, and I thought that he lived up to expectation. I said last week, you know, if he's as good as they say he is, he should win this fight, and not only did he win it, but he looked very good doing it, and so I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen with that, but 
um because he's in kind of a weird place as a secondary wba champion um but it was a very good fight and i also want to give my props to your bussinelli he was game as well and i hope he wasn't too seriously hurt i know that they carried him out in the stretcher directly after the fight and he went to the hospital to be evaluated after that first knockdown in the 12th i didn't like the way he was looking you know he was blinking a lot and when i see fighters blink a lot like that and they kind of holding their face I've seen Orbital Bone. Like, I've seen that when Kell Brook fought Triple G. I've seen it when your Dennis Ugas fought Errol Spence. And so hopefully it's not an Orbital Bone injury, and maybe, I don't know what it could be, but I, I just hope he's okay. Yeah, I hope he's okay, too. Uh, I've seen fights like this, and while they, they can be exciting, sometimes, I, you know, they, they lead the guys in there a little bit too long, and we see some uh, pretty bad re- results. Uh, from doing that, because um, really, about the fourth round, I kind of saw how this fight was going to go as David Morrell kind of was just putting a beat down on uh, Nelly. But Morrell did, which, you know, uh, I don't think it worked in. It kind of worked, worked in Yerbosinelli's favor at that moment, but not for the duration of the fight. It's about the uh, seventh, eighth round. Morrell kind of took his foot off the gas. He kind of was like, man, I need to soften this guy up to hurt him because he's not going anywhere. And Yerbosinelli, very, very tough guy, tough beard. You know, he, he he took that beating, but Morrell was just too good, too fast, good on the inside, outside. I mean, he would just did everything pretty much better than Yerbosinelli. So when that, that knockdown finally happened in the 12th round, it, it, really, I thought this fight was going to go the distance when the, when 12th round started because it was it was clear that Yerbosinelli's corner was not going to stop this fight, you know, uh, unless he was seriously, seriously, seriously hurt. So Morel saw the opportunity. He was trying to, you know, make a statement. He was already, you know, winning comfortably, pretty much beating Yerbosinelli up. And, and, and he knocked him down that, that first time. And, and like you, Danny, I was like, this, you know, this this probably is going to be it. And Morel is going to smell blood because, you know, who he is. Uh, the second knockdown, which is even just more scary. Uh, ref, Tony Weeks did a, did a good job. But, yeah, it was it was a brutal uh, knockout. And I hope your Bersinelli is okay. Yeah, shout out to the kid for, you know, helping your Bersinelli afterwards after he knocked him down he showed compassion you know for his for his fallen victim you know um and and that showed a lot of class yesterday what i noticed um and i'm not even gonna hold you i had to watch a little bit of the fight today because i I called myself taking me a a mere fight nap you know what i'm saying and i woke up and and that's how I, i got the results but um I was concerned about your personality and I'm not going to speak too much about the fight because you guys, you know, when you're the third person, you know, to speak, you know, most of the, what what else is there to add, you know? So I'm not going to go that route with it. But what I will say is this after the fight or once you had your personality in trouble, I was more so concerned that it may be something neurological or like some brain swelling or something like that because he took a tremendous beating throughout the fight. He's a very tough fighter. And sometimes some people are just too tough for their own good, where they are going to take a a licking and keep on ticking, but it's only so much that the human body can take. And so when he was, when you saw him, it was either after the first night down the second night down, he didn't have control of his legs where he was, he was still trying to fight on, 
but he was having a tough time standing up. And a lot of times when people end up taking too much punishment and they just lose control of certain body parts, it, it, it sometimes it has something to do with, with, with the swelling of the brain. And that's what I, I'm concerned about. So I've been checking to see updates as far as how the gentleman is doing. I think for him, an orbital bone injury, I mean, I'll take that over some brain swelling any day. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, shout out to both guys. They put on um, for, you know, us, you know, as fight fans. And they put, you know, those guys put their, their lives their, their lives on the line, you know, each and every time out. Um, and so I just want to say kudos to both of them. Great win for Morrell. Um, It's going to be interesting to see where he goes on with his career after this. And speaking of that, uh, what do you guys see? You know, what, what should be the next step for this kid uh, with the with this promising future that he has? Now, he, he did say that, you know, he wanted the winner of uh, David Benavidez versus Caleb Plant, which we'll talk on, we'll speak on later. Uh, I think that's an interesting concept. I think it's early in his career. He, he's, what, like seven, eight fights in. I'm not sure he he's humps. He looks like like he's ready. But I'm not sure that he's ready because he hasn't had that level of competition yet. I mean, you're both Nelly undefeated, a step up. But I'm not going to speculate like I did last week how good your boss Nelly is. I can't really say, you know, this is how good this guy is. So Morel hasn't really fought like like top notch competition enough that I can say that, you know, I think he will beat a, you know, David Benavidez or Caleb Plant. Uh, but he, but he looks perfect. So what I if I, if I were his people, I would throw him in there with uh, another you know undefeated rising prospect who probably will be looking to get a WBA title because he doesn't have one. Now be Edgar Berlinga, you know Berlinga undefeated, hasn't won a title yet. That would be Morel's secondary WBA title. That would be like Berlinga's first title if he was to win that fight. So it'd be attractive for Berlinga to take. Uh, but I think it's a great fight for Morel to really put his his stamp down and say, look, I'm that guy. All these people you talking about, they're not that guy. So I would try somebody on that level first before I start, you know, going on to the to the big dogs. Hold on, brother. You said if you was who you do what now? You you would put him against Berlanga? Yes, because I think I would I think Morel would, you know, beat Mar I would favor Morel over Berlinga. And I think that's a good fight for him. And it'll start off the tradition of young guys fighting each other like they used to do i hear you if i was bob aram i wouldn't let him anywhere near morell that's a he he morell would dog walk him i feel like that'd be like a tune-up just about you know but i guess looking at it on one hand he only has eight fights but on the other hand he came up through that cuban boxing system and so you know he has about 54 amateur fights and so you know he's one of those guys that are pretty pro ready when they come into the pros already you know he's already ranked number six in the division by the ring um over him you have guys like zach parker john Ryder, who are gonna fight each other you have benavidez a plant who are gonna fight each other and so in theory you know to fight either one of those winners would be another step up for him but in practice, that would be tough just because of where he is in his career. You know, again, he's a secondary WBA champ. Um, there's another division where the WBA is ordering the secondary and the 
primary champ to consolidate the titles. Like they had to fight each other. But they're not going to do that with Canelo. So we can go ahead and rule that out. Now, going down the WBA line, you have Eric Bazinian, Rocky Fielding, and McCrory, who would be his next highest-ranked WBA contenders. And none of those would really be exciting. Those would be steps down. But if he were to just go down the line of WBA opponents, I will go after Rocky Fielding for two reasons. One, he's British and he could potentially build that UK fan base. And he would have common opposition with Canelo at the very least. Uh, so he's, he's kind of in a weird place with that secondary WBA champ and the WBA themselves not really having much to offer him and Canelo being on the side and other high-ranked fighters being busy. So I would probably say realistically someone like a fielding, at least for the first part of 2023. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, if they're really going to um, broaden his horizons, he's going to have to step out of the WBA um realm you know what i mean because it's not much to offer there he he needs fighters and and that's the messed up thing about the sport of boxing because you already know inside your head that it's 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 not likely it's unlikely for guys to face certain guys even though the guys that they would face will help them in their career build the necessary i would say resume in order to be an effective champion or at least be competitive against the upper echelon guys that they will face. And one, in a second, Bill, I have a question for you because what you said, it really baffles me. Um, but I, I'll get to that in a second. So I think that Morrell, he needs guys more like a, like a Zach Parker, maybe, I don't know if Billy Joe Saunders is called it quits. You know what I mean? Like guys like that, that's gonna, you know, provide him with a few different, you know, wrinkles than, the guys he's been facing. And even though your personality going into the fight, you knew that he was somewhat of a risk because he's a strong, undefeated, you know, guy who can punch pretty good. He's still slow. You know what I mean? It's just, and he hadn't really faced anybody himself. So you, you need those, those, those um, type of opponents that's going to uh, push you, you know, to higher levels. And then you can, you know, learn what you, what you need to work on. Now, my question for you, Bill, is, is how does Berlinga help him, you know, in preparation for somebody like a plant, uh, Benavides? Because um, when I look at Berlinga, I just think he's a guy who's still trying to find himself. I think that he's a guy who they built up, you know, he, he was he was somebody that they was making out to be a marketable guy because he was knocking out everybody that he was facing, but he wasn't facing anybody. And like I said, he's still in a position where he's trying to find himself. So again, my question is how, how would a fight, not that it wouldn't be lucrative because, you know, well, at least right now until he loses more fans based on his performances, hopefully he'll be able to get it together. But how would that help him though? It'll be an exciting fight. It will get eyes watching uh, David Morrell. Uh, it'll give him some experience against, the point is around his size. We were both Nelly seems smaller, you know. So, of course, it's, it's high risk. It's high risk of uh, even both guys because Berlinga. I mean, hey, it's time for you to step up or step out. Show who you are. Yeah, when you shout out to guys like Frank Martin and Mikhail Rivera, you know, two undefeated young, young, strong guys that decide to fight. Like, hey, look, well, we we'd rather fight each other than uh, wait for these big dogs to to look, even look at us, which is going to take forever. You know, because they trying to figure out, figure the things out amongst themselves anyway. 
or try to take a you know an arm off an of old roach and all these other former champions that already been beat already just to say I'm use them as a stepping ladder. I mean that's good and all, but hey, two undefeated guys, you know what I'm saying? Risk because because hey, somebody's old got to go, you know, and some somebody's career might get derailed. But why not? This is box. I got you. I just I, for me when I think about what you just mentioned, I. I mean, Kel Rivera and Frank Martin, nobody knows who those guys are. So, yeah, you got to do something to push the envelope in order to be known and, and get some eyes on you. So you might have to take extra risk in order just to get your name out there. Berlinga doesn't have that problem. Berlinga's problem is that they marketed him to the public as something that he was not. And so it's hard to keep that fan base going when you are marketed as this one punch power guy but once the level of opposition steps up it's that's not your claim to fame that's not really what you do um and like i said i think he's at a stage in certain situations then yeah if you got two upcoming guys they both confident in themselves they both understand where they are they both feel like they are that dude i think morel feels that way i don't think that berlinga so you will be putting him in a situation at this particular moment that wouldn't be best suited for him. I think that he needs a little bit more tutelage. They're in similar situations where I think that they need more opportunities and they need more um, fights under their belts to get that experience. And then you can move them into a, a clash between each other when it's at the right moment. I don't think that you would be doing it too late because they're so young. So two or three years down the line, that would be a perfect collision course for both guys, unless Berlinga gets upset before that. But I think that he'll be better suited, even if he does take an L, because that's going to make him better, unless it's just something, some, some a fight in which he just gets demolished and it just ruins his confidence. But I don't think that right now Berlinga, I think Berlinga, what, what would happen is, is that Morel is going to smash him, and then that would give him the false sense of that I'm that dude. Because, but you still haven't really, you know, added all of the wrinkles in your game in order to be able to compete against those upper echelon guys and really have put yourself in the best situation possible in order to be able to be successful against. But that's just me. Anything else you guys have uh, regarding this talented uh, young fighter out of Cuba? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, so next week. We have a clash that's going to put three world titles on the line for the uh, 100 and I want to say 54 pound weight class. You have Natasha Jonas. She's going to be taking on Marie Eve DeCare in a fight that's going to take place in Manchester, England. It's going to be on Sky Sports. As I'm looking at the odds on Bravada, they have Miss John Jonas as a seven to three favorite going into this fight. What do you guys think? Uh, who do you like in this? One? Yeah, th this is an interesting fight. Um, I do think they correctly accurately have Jonas as a, a favorite. Um, looking at how each it's, it's, it's plenty of ways to look at this fight. When, when I look at what the style wise and what would likely to be happen, what is likely to happen, I don't think the car fights in a style that would give Jonas trouble, which is ironically be something like what Jessica McCaskill does. And it was interesting that Jonas jumped that weight class and, you know, said that she went from lightweight to, you know, light middleweight 
and successfully definitely, you know, jumped right over Jessica McCaskill, which would have been probably McCaskill's one of her biggest fights as far as popularity wise to, to, to get up to 154. And it's shocking that, you know, Jonas is someone who, who started her career just maybe what, six, seven years ago at 130 at super featherweight. You know, she had her loss to uh, Katie Taylor, you know, had a draw with Terry Harper, which some, a few people thought she lost. And she had a, a knockout loss, a technical knockout loss, where it was a, similar to someone like a Caskill who just caught Jonas slipping, was very, very aggressive with her. But Jonas, you know, tall, five foot eight. Uh, she was tall for, you know, lightweight division, five foot eight. Record is 12, two and one with eight knockouts. She's a southpaw. So that kind of helps her a, a little bit. Uh, the car, 19 and one, one knockout, five foot seven, 71 inch wingspan. Uh, lost to Carissa Shields uh, last year. Uh, the car, I, I think, don't have the experience really to to deal with Jonas, even though she has, you know, she was undefeated before her fight with Shields. And also, I don't think she has that that aggressiveness and dog and power to really get Jonas' attention. Thought I always thought that her moving up to his weight was a a pretty bad idea, but now I see, you know, clear what was really going on. She jumped over Jessica McCaskill, which was like one of the, the riskiest fights, you know, and wasn't going to get, she probably wasn't going to get too much uh, reward out of that fight. But, you know, she can, she can get the WBO t- title here at 154 and it's, it sets up a possible lucrative fight against uh, Carissa Shields. It's riskier than McCaskill in terms of what could happen, but as far as money, it brings enough money for that risk. Because the truth be told, I don't think Jonas... Christian Shields a bad, bad, bad style for Natasha Jonas. And really, I think Shields would stop Jonas. So, but I see why they did it. I think this is Jonas this is probably her last run. And she's probably going to retire after the next few fights. And she's looking to cash out. Yeah, this is a, a fight, like I say, for the – she's trying to add the IBF belt, you know, to her WBC and WBO belts. She won the WBC belt in her last fight against Patricia Bulger. and a pretty impressive you know win you know that she had uh, to get that belt you know I, I was impressed um you mentioned the losses that she had against Taylor and then against Vivian Albanov Vivian Albanov I think that she kind of underestimated her back in 2018 and Vivian Albanov she I want to say she may have retired because I haven't seen her looking at box race she hasn't fought since I want to say 2019 but that little young lady right there, she was putting them paws on Jonas. But like I said, I think that that loss kind of helped Jonas not to, you know, enter the ring and never take anybody for granted. And she had an impressive performance against Katie Taylor. And she's been looking better and better as she's moved up in weight. Now, Dakari, she has the loss to Shields. Um, she's out of Quebec. Her last fight, she won back the IBF title that she lost to Shields with the victory over Cynthia Lozano. I wouldn't say that it was an impressive victory. I would say that she did what she had to do. Um, Lozano is, if if you want a a good laugh, um, you might want to take a look at that fight, uh, Lozano versus the care, because I don't know, that might be, and, and I'm not trying to, you know, sometimes when people say I'm not trying to do something, they do a very good job of doing what they say that they're not trying to do. But I'm not trying to talk down on Lozano. But there's no way in the world that she should have been in there fighting for any type of belt. Now, Lozano looked like the type of fighter that 
they they might want it, it's concerning to to see her in the ring um because if somebody has a little bit more power she's one of those fighters that can actually get hurt she was running inside the um you know no no not taking any angles at all you know just running in there throwing sloppy punches and the care won pretty much every round um the interesting thing about 154 pound weight class in women's boxing that you only have eight women that are ranked and one of the fighters is 50 years old and so when they were trying to figure out who the care was going to fight in her last fight they had to take all of those things into consideration one of the fighters she had already beaten um some of the other fighters were already prepared to fight other fighters you know so saying all that to say she won her ibf belt back but it wasn't anything impressive about that victory so with that being said looking at the care style looking at Jonas style, both fighters are relatively even, I would say that Jonas is a slightly better. Like she, she, and, and, and the other thing with Jonas is that you have to factor in that she was pretty decorated as an amateur. So she has that pedigree. She also has had the stiffer competition and I've seen her step her game up against top level opposition in Katie Taylor, where she fought, you know, to it was it was a very competitive fight. I've never seen the care face anybody like that outside of Shields, and she wasn't competitive against Shields. And which tells me, and and that on top of that, the cherry on top is that Jonas has power. Like she can sit you down with her punches, and the care simply can't with only one KO and her ten victories. Um, she's not she doesn't have the power. Now, if you see the same Jonas that you've been seeing. In the past, and she hasn't, you know, slipped any. She's getting up there in age as well. She's 38 years of age and, you know, putting on that weight. You know, that's a, that's a big difference when she was fighting against Taylor at the lower weight class or weight division that she is now. Um, that, that'll be interesting to see. But she's been looking good at 154. So factoring all of those things, taking all those things into consideration, I would say that Jonas should win a pretty wide 10 round decision um, against Marie Eve DeCare to add the IBF belt to her WBC and WBO straps. Yeah, I won't belabor. You guys pretty much explained it just as good as I could. I'm in the same boat as you. I think that she is going to win a pretty sound unanimous decision, she being Tasha Jonas. And I think that will probably set her up with Clarissa Shields to get her belts took because neither one of them have much of anyone else to fight after that. But uh, yeah, I'll I'll be there. You know, we'll see. You, you don't you, you fellas don't think that she may go in the direction of McCaskill because McCaskill still has those welterweight straps. No, she gonna it, win? No, no. If she was gonna come go in and in Jessica McCaskill's direction, she would have been fighting at welterweight right now. She wouldn't have jumped over welterweight. Okay, I, I was the only reason I was asking is because maybe that was the strategy is to go ahead and and you know while she's you know, whoever was going to come out of the world to weight division with the belts and understanding that if I go to 154, that's an easy, easier way for me to go ahead and collect me some straps. Once I do that, I can kind of make history, you know, kind of like Shields did when she was winning those belts in different weight classes. And then that last fight, you know, you can cash out against Shields. But that, that's what I was thinking that may be a potential thought process that was going through her mind. Um, I'll say this. I was watching... McCaskill, before this fight, I was watching her talk on the portaway, 
And the way she was talking, it seemed like that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to go down, take those belts at 140, and then go up and take those belts at 154. And, you know, now that she has not been successful, I can see her saying, okay, well, let's see what we can do at 154. I can also see Jonas saying, okay, time is of the essence. This will be the time to go down and get those belts at 147. And they're both 38. And so, you know, it might not be a better time for that fight. I could also see her not turning down the Shields fight that they throw it at her. So it goes anyway. See, they can can do it like how Sugar Ray Leonard did when he fought Donnie Lalonde. So what Sugar Ray did was they fought, he collected the light heavyweight belts where he was the 160-pound champion. They made a catchweight fight at 168, I want to believe. And where he can put his belts on the line and Donnie Lalonde could put his belts on the line. So if they do some type of catch weight, you know, I've seen that happen in a sport of boxing. It doesn't make sense because you're not fighting in those weight classes. But, you know, it's it's it's, it's been done in, in, in boxing history. So who knows? Anything else you guys have on those, uh, you know, women's boxing? Women's boxing, you know, the, the top girls are pretty, pretty good. You know what I mean? A very exciting time. I mean, I mean, uh... Yeah, they blazing the trails right now. Oh, yeah. Definitely, and I like that the bigger fights are like actually getting made too. Like it is, it is pretty top heavy, but the top are fighting each other, and I hope that more people come up to the top and they continue to do that. You know. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's a good time to be watching, and they headline of cars too. You know what I mean mm-hmm. with guys on. It. So that's a good thing. Yeah, we, we can end this uh, episode with with a couple topics that's been interesting, you know, or been talked about in the news. I think the the biggest thing, and we kind of started off one of our episodes talking about this. This is the story that just it, it, it never ends. Just it's, it's the never ending story, you know. It's the saga after saga. So this week, you know, Bud Crawford he came out and he finally, you know, spoke his side of what has been going on when it came to the negotiations with Errol Spence. Um, I guess the question I have for you guys, I mean, who do you believe the most or what did you think about Bud and what he was saying as far as what's been happening in negotiations? So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I, I heard some things about, you know, uh, invest, potential investors coming in and, and giving, you know, 25 million, whatever dollar amount a piece. And it goes down. You ask, who do I believe? I'll say this. I believe that Terrence Crawford always get guaranteed money and he always shoots for that and he always receives it. Uh, say what, what anybody want about him. I'm not exactly a businessman, but I'm a common sense man too. He's one of the fighters that when he, when he was with top rank, right? He's getting guaranteed money, getting these, 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 you know, you know, six million, $7 million fights guaranteed. And his promotion is losing money and it's still making his fight and he's getting money, you know. So people saying that his investors may have been shady, but I don't believe whoever Terrence Crawford's people is, from a legacy standpoint, I'll say that 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 his people are making bad decisions. But from a from a what would look like a business decision standpoint, they make great decisions because you know he's getting guaranteed money, which is money that you see. And whoever is investing money, they're gonna have to put that money up front. So he's seeing that money. And also, uh, there's been reports that his fight against Dave Avenesian is an eight-figure payday. Let's just say that's $10 million. So that's more than Errol Spence has probably got paid in his career or matching what he got paid in his career. I believe Errol Spence's highest payday, and that's guaranteed uh, plus 
you know, the back end pay-per-view revenue was around 10 million. So, hey, I'm just saying, money talks. Yeah, I didn't listen to the IG live. I did see their back and forth and, you know, Crawford pretty much reiterating what was said before, but in more detail and spent saying that basically calling it cap and that, you know, his side agreed to show him everything from what I get just to, you know, if I were playing mediator, I think one thing that Spence said is correct. They all need to just meet up in person. And I wish they would have done that before because it seemed like a bit miscommunication. It seems like Spence is used to doing things a certain way. Things have been simple for him because previous dealings have been made in-house and then you have Crawford, who is coming with other ideas. And on top of that, this is his first time working things kind of on his own without a promotional company at the level that he's at, you know, as an elite fighter. And so you have a guy who's thinking outside the box with different ideas and maybe isn't used to the way things are going on the other side and probably already has a built-in mistrust for Al Heyman because Spence is Al's guy and Al's been working with Spence the longest. And so... It seems like a bit miscommunication, even with that hedge fund deal with the $25 million each guaranteed. You know, Spence was saying that that would have benefited Crawford more. But I think that would have been a mutually beneficial agreement. But it was also just not going to happen because Al Heyman wasn't going to let it happen. So I think Crawford did the best for himself and his family, not for his legacy, but himself and his family. And I think that Spence let the situation play it out how he used to letting it play out and it didn't work. So if I were to put the blame on anyone for the fight not happening, I would put the blame on Al Heyman. When I think about Bud Crawford and the way the, these things have transpired, I think of what comes to my mind is when Russell Westbrook, when he scores on a little or small opponent, he does that little baby, like he cradles the baby. And that's how they how people are treating Terrence Crawford in this situation. Dude, you just ducked this fight, brother. That's what you did. So here's a few things that I, I noted, right? He talks about two companies, 25 million, unknown, mysterious companies that he's referring to, talking about this hedge fund, you know, and, and, and that they are going to take the risk and that the, the guys are supposed to get 25 million apiece. Let's just take him at his word. This mysterious company out of nowhere who he doesn't want to reveal and divulge information about, if it was, why would Errol Spence take $25 million and he takes $25 million? Like, why would I do that anyway? Like, why would I take, I got more belts than you, sir. I have, I have better pay-per-view numbers than you do, sir. I fought the better competition. And so Spence is supposed to leave PBC for an unknown company. Like, that's what he's supposed to do. After he's built this relationship, rapport, um, he's in with the Cowboys and Jerry Jones and all this stuff. So I'm just supposed to leave them for some unknown company that you're referring to. And secondly, why is Bud calling Smith? Now, you could call him, you know, but at the end of the day, what is he, J.P. Morgan, Susie Orman? Like, who is, like, dude, you a fighter. You know what I mean? Like, when I go and, and, and I get my car fixed, right? My mechanic fixes my car, but I go to the cashier to get, you know, to, to make the transaction with my money. Like, dude, you're supposed to have people that's in place that's making this th these deals for you. He doesn't even sound like somebody who's, who's, and I, I ain't even going to go in that direction. So anyway, 
Um, but like I said, it just to me, a boxer should have people in, you know, like that's gonna work things out on their behalf. The other thing too is he talks about, you know, now he's trying to seem like he's this business guru and I'm my own boss and all of this type of stuff. But just a few, you know, months ago, this past year, Bob Aram, I remember him talking about how he said, you know, he needs to be more like Mayweather and things like that. And then Bob was just saying like, you know, I'm a fighter, you know what I mean? I get paid to fight. I don't get paid to do all of that type of stuff. So now all of a sudden you take this 360 where you just this dude who's able to make these business deals and I got these hedge funds and all this type of stuff. And I'm sitting here to me, every step of the way. And oh, the other thing I want to say, how in the heck do you say that you agreed to all of their terms, but the fight didn't happen? Like, so how did it not happen then? Like, come on, man. This dude is a joke, man. He What he's afraid of is the fact that this will be the first time he's fighting somebody who isn't limited, who isn't, like, has some type of issue going on with them. Everybody else he's faced has been like that. This is the stiffest opposition. This is, like, in, in, um, at the highest level, it's going to be promoted. You know, the, all, the, the eyes are all going to be on Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence. To me, he's shying away from that fight. He's figuring out little ways to not make this fight happen. This is all on Terrence Crawford. You know, all of a sudden he wants to, you know, talk about he's on. Come on, man. Like, stop it, dog. Like, I, I you can just see it and sense it, you know, with the stuff that he's saying. And he would have been better off to me if he would have just let this stuff play out and not said anything and just went with his fight with David Avenesian and just said that, you know, they were taking too long and, you know, I want to fight. You know, I still got good fights left in me and, you know, we can go back to the table later. He could have just said that as opposed to those excuses that he was making in that video. He was making too many statements to me that was contradictory. And so, like I say, Errol Spence to me has always been the one who's been trying to do everything and anything he can to make this fight, especially right now. He's like, I don't want no uh, Keith Thurman. I don't want these guys. That's the fight that I want. And so, like I say, for me, I think that he's the one who's making all of the sacrifices and doing all the heavy lifting in order to make the Spence Crawford fight take place. Anything else you guys have? Yes, sir. So, so you're saying why wouldn't Terrence Crawford take whatever he agreed to? You said he agreed to these terms. Who, 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 who was the hedge fund guy? Like, who was the let, 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 I'll let you speak. I, I'm asking, sir. Doesn't matter. I'm, I'm let you. I let you speak. Let me. Let me. Let me. Let me. Let me ask my question. Let me go. Ask, All right. Me ask whatever let me ask. go, man. Ask your question, sir. All right. So they say he agreed to these terms, but they wouldn't let him see the money. They wouldn't let him see his guarantee, the guaranteed money, and he doesn't. He's not signed to Al Heyman, so Al Heyman's gonna look out for the guy that's been with him the whole time. If this, if this fight loses money, you know, in, in any type of way. Smith's gonna get paid. Bud gonna be the one losing money. So why would you? you why would you sign that? Why would you, you sign? Just, it? You no, just said I, something. No, 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 no. It's one thing at a time. It's one thing at a time. So what you just said, you don't even know the answer to that. You don't know that. You just said something that you think might be the case. That's not. You don't know if that's true. But guaranteed money is the truth. When they say you guarantee this, that is obviously that's obviously guaranteed money. Would you rather about go the percentage of the split that he is no guarantee because they don't know how much money that they're going to make. 
Exactly. But when you when you, when your pay is guaranteed, you making your guaranteed pay. It's gonna start from that point. Just like would you go to work, you know what I'm saying? Would you sign and go to work for a percentage that this may happen right now or may not happen? Or we or do you do you go for your guaranteed pay that you got right now? That's my first question. To you and Danny. Can, can you answer? You ask and Danny, no. Yeah, what's, no, what's your, the question? What's the question, sir? What did you say? When you go to your job, would you sign on? to be paid a certain guarantee amount or would you sign on for a percentage of an amount with no guaranteed money right now? I don't know, man. Right. Yeah, Danny, is, Danny, 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 what's your answer? I would want the guarantee. Thank you. Okay. Would you work for your company if your company didn't want to tell you what you're getting paid? You making excuses for this dude that he no 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 would you wait yes, yes or no because no, because the thing is the man yes said, no. no let me let me say this answer the question Bill oh man like I'm, is, are you just trying to like add like some type of it's my question uh, you had argument. your questions can can, can Look, I I'm Joe Button this week <laughs> so can I answer the question yes you can first and foremost the man said that he agreed to all of their terms. Okay, to answer your question, I don't know. Uh, it, it depends. Like everything depends on the circumstance. I rest my case. Okay, but what you're doing, and it, to me, and what a lot of people are doing, they're just letting this dude off the hook with this nonsense. So you got this fight. Nobody cares anything about no David Avenesian fight. I don't even see this dude promote. Like nobody even knows about this fight outside of the people who've been listening to this back and forth between him and Errol Spence. How well is this fight going to do? Like, you don't even, like, with these investors that they're talking about, it's like Errol Spence, it's like what um, Teofimo Lopez. He was talking all of that stuff about that company that was doing the fights with, um, what's the name of that network that's no longer in place? Surely. Yeah, remember, they were supposed to, like, he was bragging about the deal that they had, and they just went under just like that because they don't know boxing. So how am I going to leave a known commodity to go for something that's unknown? It makes no sense. And I'm talking to you. Like, it ain't like I'm talking to somebody who's been in the sport of boxing for a long time and they're reputable. Yeah, like, 15, million, to you. 15 more million dollars. You can leave. The company don't matter. You can, they, they can go under, but you uh, get paid you 15 million more dollars. 15 million more. You you telling me, like, I'm talking to Bud Crawford. If I just read some of these tweets that he's putting out, I wouldn't believe anything that he's saying. The dealings that he's had with him and that guy with Tyson Fury, you don't know about that type of stuff. Let me, let me, sorry, hedge fund, right? So a hedge fund is a limited partnership of investors who use high-risk methods such as investing, borrowed money, in hopes of realizing higher-risk gains. You don't know where they, it could be a Ponzi scheme. It could be anything. But I do know the dealings that I have with this company and what, how they've been treating me since I've been with them. Now, to me, that's something that's more like, uh, you know, that I can actually, it's, it's, it's valid there. Like it's some validity to them. And I know that this is a known commodity. What you're talking about, I have no idea. So, and I just want to fight you, dude. Like, so let's just get this fight. Whatever it is you want to do with that hedge fund, do all that type of stuff that you want to do with them, you know, moving forward. You know what I mean? You said that you agreed to the terms that they had for you for this fight. That's what you said. You agreed to everything. 
So if that was the case, then how come the fight didn't happen? All I'm saying is Bud is getting paid more right now than Spence is in his whole entire career. Hey, Danny, what, 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 what sounds better to you, 10 million or 25 million? Hey, man, I already said what I got to say. <laughs> I rest okay. my case. Yeah, we'll see how this plays out. Now, just remember you saying all this stuff man. And we'll, we'll come back to this. We'll revisit this. All right, so now the next topic that we have, we got uh, a pretty – I think one of the guys signed for the fight uh, between uh, two top 168-pound fighters. And if they do fight, which is David Benavidez and Caleb Plant, uh, Benavidez would go in, according to Bravada, as a slight favorite um, over Caleb Plant. Uh, what do you think about this announcement that these guys agreed to fight early next year? Yeah, buddy. I'm like, yeah, all right, finally. I mean, this fight, it's, it's different emotions because it's kind of, from a logical standpoint, this fight is kind of past its due. But from what's going on, it's a great time for this fight. You know, uh, I, I do think Plant did lose a little steam uh, when he lost to Canelo. But he kind of got it back with that, you know, that confidence-building victory over, you know, over um, Anthony Durrell. Uh, and, you know, he's feeling himself, you know what I'm saying? He's throwing all these little symbols of shoveling and all that. He's really feeling himself. It's almost like he decided to be a man and throw down, in the words of Bishop. So David Benavidez, you know, he's coming off a, a, a few decent victories, but he never really had that, that even though he did, you know, beat Anthony Durrell. Still, his, his career is kind of up and down. He kind of lost his belt, belts on the scale, had issues with, you know, uh, drugs. But all that is over, you know. Say so he seemed to be on the road, so I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's going to be a good fight. Plant feeling himself and being more confident, I think it'll make it a, a, a more fun fight. Uh, I still kind of favor um, David Benavidez, even though Plant has a style that I think, from a traditional standpoint, would serve him pretty good against David Benavidez. I think just looking at the personalities and how they operate, I do think that David Benavidez, to me, will be a, I would favor him slightly, not by a lot, but slightly. But I think it's a good fight, good for boxing. One of those fights I've been waiting to see for, for a minute. Uh, now that nobody's looking at Canelo anymore, it's like not guys want to fight each other. It's great. Yeah, I'm excited for it as well. I think this is probably, you know, we wanted it for a while, but this is probably one of the better times to have it. This is another one of those fights where there's a legitimate beef going into it. So I think the buildup is going to be exciting. I think Plant, he's kind of had that first loss, so he has his newfound confidence with the new trainer coming off a win. I think Benavidez had just sort of been ready, and it seems like he is, to whatever extent he can, taking control of his career. You know, he has that interim belt for the WBO I believe and so he's another one of those folks in line for Canelo but you got to do something in between that and you can't just let your career pass you by so I think this is a great move for both of them this is a fight that the fans have been wanting yeah I think this could be a fight of the year candidate for 2023 already you know plant style as a slick boxer puncher it's gonna be an interesting class with Benavidez volume and pressure um I'm favoring Benavidez a little bit as well um i know it's early so this isn't the official prediction but my initial thought is that i'm very excited for it and you know it's about time it's about time yeah it's a very interesting class of styles you know you got a guy who's who's pretty silky smooth and then you got the other guy who just wants to come in there and throw those uh 
those punches, man. He, he throws, I, I would say punches and bunches, but they he's pretty heavy handed, you know, in doing so. So from that standpoint, it's going to be a, a, a very intriguing matchup. You also have, uh, you alluded to the point that um, my man Plant now with his newfound confidence, you know, or he, he regained his confidence, I should say, after the Canelo loss. And then also, uh, like I say, Stephen Breadman, he introduced to Caleb more sparring in, in your training camp in order to sharpen your sword when it comes to the actual fight. And it worked out well for them in their last outing against Anthony the Dog Durrell. So he should be sharp going into the Benavidez fight. And see, here's the, de here's the deal, though. I think that in a fight, and again, it's not my official prediction, but my projection would be a fight in which you see eventually, I think that pressure of Benavidez is going to take its toll on Plant. And I don't think that now he looks like he worked on, you know, the, the the problems that he was having with stamina. I didn't see him get fatigued at all against Darrell, but Darrell is, is more composed. He's more calculated. He he doesn't pressure you nearly as much as Benavidez is. And so that's going to be the interesting part to me once that sixth, seventh round, you know, comes about and once Benavidez steps his foot on the gas, what is Caleb going to be able to do, you know, in those situations? But I like him now because he's looking a little bit more meaner. Um, and, you know, it's only one fight. You know what I mean? His antennas was up for Darrell because Darrell talked so much, you know, prior to the fight. And so he wanted to put some hurt on him. And it's going to be the same, similar situation now. You know, you see how he was able to step up to the plate, didn't let any of that, you know, rattle him at all. You know, he looked calmer and cooler than I've seen him in a long time. So, this may be the case against Benavidez where he's able to get some of his stuff off and take his uh, anger out on his opponent. I, I would favor Benavidez. Like I said, I just think that he's heavier handed than the dog. He applies more pressure. So even though Caleb has his confidence, you know, at a at a high right now, I don't think that that will be enough uh, in this one. But it's going to be a goodie. You know what I'm saying? The, the Caleb plant that I saw against Anthony the dog, the real, he, he's competitive. He's very competitive against um, David Benavides, but this will give both guys a, 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 a shot. You know what I mean? It, it'll get them an adrenaline shot for their career, and it'll put them in a situation where I don't care who holds the belts. They can no longer avoid either guy if they are if they gain a victory, especially Benavides. Benavides, he wins this fight. Canelo can't, um, you know, say that. Who have you beaten? And you know, those type of things because he will earn his stripes. And, you know, with that being said, then it, it'll put – that'll be another mega fight that'll take place unless Canelo decides just to go up to 175. And I think that there's too many sharks at 175 for him just to stay up there and linger around at 175. It's not the, the, the top part of 175. It's just too dangerous up there. He's not – he's too small to just to be campaigning at 175. So I think eventually what he'll do – is he will take on Benavides if he's successful. But all in all, man, I'm excited, you know, if the fight actually takes place. One thing that I'm concerned about is this, is that PBC, they've been lacking when it comes to some of these fights um, lately, and I'm hearing that they are in trouble financially, you know, as well. So if that is the case, there's some rumblings that they're going to make some changes, you know, at the top, you know, Steven Espinosa and people like that. So hopefully they'll have enough money to be able to put on 
this clash uh, between these two top level 168 pound fighters. Do you guys have anything else before we wrap things up? Not necessarily on a boxing note, but on a combat note, just want to shout out Miranda Maverick. I've talked about her in previous episodes, but she used to train out of my Muay Thai gym, House of Muay Thai. Uh, she moved to Colorado to train there, but she won her UFC fight on Saturday. And so, you know, shout out to her. Great win. Wishing her the best with her future. Yeah, speaking of shout outs, I just want to shout out Alicia Baumgartner. She ain't have no fight. I don't know if a fight coming up. I just want to <laughs> shout, shout her out. You understand what I'm saying? You got anything else, Bill, before yeah, we wrap yeah. things up? Yeah, I'm going to shout out uh, in this corner podcast. We got my main man, uh, Ty over there, man, doing big things. So uh, check him out. He was doing a, um, a round by round uh, last night on the Showtime card. So uh, check him out. Subscribe to his channel for all you listeners. Yeah. Shout out Jessica McCaskill. You understand what I'm saying? Um, yeah, shout out to all of them, man. You know, anything else you guys have, man, you know, excellent episode. You know, I think we all know that Bud is ducking uh, Spence. Uh, you know, that's the moral of the story. But, you know, anything else we got before we wrap yeah, this, this PBC, bad Yeah, if PBC is in financial trouble uh, and they can't pay Errol Smith more than $8 million and Terrence Crawford getting a, a guaranteed $10 million deal, Regardless, mm. it's guaranteed $10 million. Okay, that's what On the team. That's what Tiafimo thought before he had to come running back to Bob Aaron. But it's all good, man. You know, we'll see how things play out. Um, you know, if that's it, we can go ahead and wrap this bad boy up. You know what I'm saying? On that note, you know, we out. You know, we we, we did what we had to do. Y'all have a great week. Peace. Peace.